I may proclaim to you the word of our God as we find that in Revelation chapter 1, the verses 9 through 20. And I chose this text this morning also in connection with what we celebrate this coming Thursday, the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Revelation chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So far. And after the sermon, we will sing hymn 44, the stanzas 1, 2, and 3. theme for the sermon is, there is so much to see, the comforting self-revelation of the Lord Jesus for his church. Dear brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, what is your opinion of the Lord Jesus Christ? An opinion is a view, judgment, or appraisal formed in the mind about a particular matter. And many of our opinions are shaped by what we think and are not substantiated by knowledge or conviction of scriptural truth. We will say things like, 
Well, I'd like to think that God wouldn't be that way. But on what basis do we make that conclusion? On the basis of Scripture? Or on the basis of what is in our sinful hits? And we do the same thing with the person and the work of our Savior. What is your opinion of and how do you view who Jesus is? Do you understand what he came to do for you? Who he is today? What he requires of you and me? If we view Jesus as nothing more than a good example, a compassionate teacher, and a good friend, we may be saying all sorts of good and complimentary things about him. But our vision falls short of reality. He is a friend. He is a good example. He's a grand teacher. But he is so much more. In our me-oriented and meet-my-needs culture, we as Christians are in danger of having a very low and shallow view of the Lord Jesus Christ. The idolization of self can have a major impact on how we worship the ascended Christ. We fail to see him in the grandeur of who he is because We've made him to be the one who gets us out of the hard situations that we can't handle. And we see him as very little more than that. Just listen to our conversations. Ask our young people why they believe it important to profess their faith and pay attention to what is being said. I've heard the answer repeatedly. Yes, I love the Lord because He's always there for me. But as we study the Scriptures, we come to understand that things need to be turned around. I am here for Him. I am here to praise Him and acknowledge who He is. And the more I start doing that, the more secure I will become in Him. Jesus is far more than my personal counselor or the one who gives me a lift when I hit the rough roads in life. Why do we get ourselves down? Why are we so quickly shaken? Brothers and sisters, are we not right back to our initial question? What is your opinion of the Lord Jesus? Who do you say that he is? What is your connection to Jesus? Your and my opinion of Jesus needs to be shaped by his word and revelation and not by our thinking and interpretation. Throughout the pages of the Bible, the Holy Scripture directs us to the work and person of Christ. Because what we are told has the power to turn our lives around dramatically and completely. 
Our ambitions and attitudes change. Our life will be transformed when our view of Christ isn't shaped by what we think, but by His identity and what we have and who we are in Him. If we do not find life in Jesus as He has revealed Himself, we will be left searching and thirsting for answers to all that ails us, looking for something new in this or that that will make us feel better. But we'll never find true peace. Turning our attention to the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is so much to see. So much to broaden our horizons and change our views. It is marvelous and magnificent. This last book of the Bible, as the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, proclaims the gospel of Christ and how we are in him. The Apostle John speaks about being our brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. We are bonded together in Jesus. And this Jesus is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Revelation uncovers the majesty and the glory of our Savior and our Redeemer, who rules supreme, but who is not far removed from us. We are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, who is the Son of Man and the Son of God. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He is the living one and the one who holds the keys of Hades and death. Now the Apostle John, as a messenger and ambassador of Jesus Christ, gives the churches a vivid look at Christ to affect and transform their life and their worship. And notice how this happens. John did not write a letter to the churches in the province of Asia sharing with them his opinion of Jesus. He did not say, well, this is what I think Jesus should be for us. No, the book of Revelation came about at the initiative of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. He prepared the human instrument. He lifted John's thoughts from his dreary surroundings into the breathtaking vistas of divine revelation. And there is so much to see. While John was on the island of Patmos, his thoughts may have gone back to how it all began in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a loyal disciple, he stood at the cross and he had entered the tomb of his risen Savior on the first day of the week, on the first Lord's Day. But where is the risen Christ for John at this moment on Patmos? Why does he not take the old apostle off the island to let him do what he desperately wants to do? Well, brothers and sisters, this isn't John's concern at all. 
He's on the island for Christ. I, John, he says, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. That's his starting point. And it ought to be ours. I am here for Jesus. And you are here for Jesus. Oh, if you and I were in John's circumstances, we might be tempted to doubt and to question, and it might even change our opinion of Jesus. Is he there for me? But the rest of the story is meant to transform my thinking away from such questions. On the Lord's Day, on the day of worship, the apostle is in the Spirit. And that is when the movie begins. A movie picturing who Jesus is and what he is doing as our exalted Savior. It is a movie that is produced by the Holy Spirit and that is meant to transform the church. And John, as an instrument of the Spirit, is given instruction to record the movie. The Apostle John hears behind him a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So what John sees in pictures is not just for him, but is for us as well. And the point of writing it down is to transmit to us the same kind of experience of seeing Jesus that he had. John will see the Lord Jesus in all his royal splendor and divine majesty. And he is instructed to write down to the best of his ability what he sees. So as John worships on the Lord's Day, the Holy Spirit captures his mind and lifts his spirit into another realm. He is in the Spirit, which means that we can be sure that what John writes does not come out of his own imagination, but by divine revelation. He's told to record the things he sees. Write in a book what you see. And what a tremendous task. This is not easy to do. It is one thing to write the words you hear. But it is not easy to write in words the glorious things that you see with your eyes. Now, Jesus does not intend to come to each church the way he came to John on Patmos. He could have, but he doesn't. He appears to John and he says, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. John gets the vision. We get the book. And with the language of approximation, John is to explain 
what human vocabulary falls short in communicating. And everything he records is to be sent to the churches and they would receive it as the word of the Lord. And so should we. John hears behind him a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. And obviously that got his attention. No wonder. If the person sitting behind you suddenly started playing a trumpet, that would startle you. And it would really catch you by surprise if a person sitting behind you started talking with a big booming voice. Well, John turns to see the voice that was speaking. And what he sees leaves him with even a greater sense of awe and surprise. He sees seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. At the end of this chapter, in verse 20, we are told that the lampstands are the seven churches that he is addressing in this letter. What a beautiful statement. Christ is among the churches. And that's the picture he wants us to see and grasp. Here are seven churches facing their own issues, each with their own particular needs and struggles. Some face persecution. Others face false teaching, and still others face their own preoccupation with lesser things that had tripped up their devotion to Christ. Some suffer for their testimony of the work of Christ. And where is the Lord Jesus? He is among them. He is there as the ascended Lord of glory through these trying times. Jesus does not abandon them. He's not remote. He's not far removed from them, but he is right there. And that amazing sight knocks John off his feet. He's like a dead man before the living God. Obviously, he had not expected to see this. Christ is among the churches. He's not merely over the churches. He is not distant from the churches. He is among the churches. He's not far away in time or space. He moves among his lampstands. And that's a good thing. Because the presence of Christ, the light, allows the church to radiate light. John then goes on to give a description of the Jesus he sees. And the book Revelation borrows language and imagery of the Old Testament, and here we have our first example of that. John's description of the Lord Jesus reminds us of the words of Ezekiel 1 and Daniel 7 as we read them this morning. In the vision of Daniel 7, which first described the arrogance and the ruthlessness of world empires, 
Daniel sees one like a son of man coming up to the Ancient of Days and being presented before him. And to him is given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Well, there you have it. The one who is among the churches is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He displays his office as king. And what a marvelous word of comfort. Jesus has been given authority over the nations. To him belongs all glory and dominion forever. Jesus Christ is present with his churches with all his might, with all his strength and provisions so that they might be faithful to him. And we need to hear this today. Just like the seven churches needed to hear it in John's day. We need to rely on the strength and the glory of Christ as revealed in this vision. As you make your plans, as you carry out your task, as you work through financial and emotional struggles, do so with a view of Christ being among his people. Are you paying attention to who is here? The Christian faith is not about us, and neither is church membership about us. Oh, it's easy to focus on the ills and the problems found in every congregation and then judge ourselves and our ideas superior to others. But what does such a view of the church say about Christ? What are we saying when we in arrogance declare that the church and religion is man-made? Where is Christ? Did you know that even with major problems found in the majority of the seven churches that are addressed in Revelation, Christ is among them? Does he say, I don't like how you behave, so I'm out of here? No, he speaks to his church, calling them to repentance, to a change of heart and mind and direction. And let's not forget the first church he calls to change wasn't some liberal church that we could shake our heads about and say, where is this going? The slippery slope. But it is a church that is quite conservative and orthodox. But this church has lost its first love. Christ is building his church so that the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And to have little regard for the church and your responsibility as a member is to have little regard for Christ among us. 
John's vision of Christ is very descriptive. He sees one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden band. And the word translated robe reaching down to his feet is not used anywhere else in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament it is almost always in reference to the robe of the high priest. And the golden band across his chest shows two things. The fact that it is high, not around the waist, but around the chest. And the fact that it is gold show that the priesthood that he holds is very great. So Jesus is not only the Son of Man from Daniel 7, who receives everlasting dominion over the nations. He is also the high priest who brings all the priestly work of the temple to an end. This priest is so great that he gave his own blood once for all at the end of the age to put away sin once for all by the sacrifice of himself. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is among the lampstands. He is here today as one with authority and everlasting dominion and as our mediator. The great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. As the writer of Hebrews reminds us, we can have confidence to draw near to God due to the effectiveness of his priestly work. Brothers and sisters, isn't it absolutely amazing and marvelous? A great privilege that what John saw was written down in a book. And it just keeps getting better and better, doesn't it? For John sees that the one who is among the churches has hair as white as wool like snow. And why is this so remarkable? In the same chapter of Daniel where John gets this picture of one like a son of man, God the Father is described like this in verse 9. The Ancient of Days took his seat, his vesture was like white snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. In other words, John is describing the Son of Man in terms used for God himself. The Son of Man is one in majestic honor before whom we humble ourselves in his presence. And John goes on to describe his eyes. His eyes were like flames of fire. And that points to the searching, omniscient gaze of Christ. We all know the drooping eye of one who is about to fall asleep. And we know the eye that is alive with wonderment and excitement and hope and expectancy and energy. Well, Jesus' eyes are like a flaming fire. 
The eyes of the Son of Man are not the clouded eye of fading glory. They are eyes of the sharpest clarity. They miss nothing that happens in the universe. And they are exploding with energy. He sees our every need. And He knows our anxious thoughts. We find Him to be strong, steady, and faithful for every situation we face, which is pictured further in the next image. His voice was like the sound of many waters. And that was probably illustrated continually in John's ears on the rocky island in the Aegean Sea. As the waves pounded against the rocky walls, this description is meant to highlight Christ's authority as our prophet. His authority as our prophet is seen further that in his right hand he held seven stars. And again later, John explains that the stars are the angels to the seven churches who are the messengers of the word. Their authority is derived authority. Out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And that reminds us of power, the power of Christ's word. When he speaks, it will be accomplished. Beloved, what John passes on is awe-inspiring, life-changing, and tr transforms how we think. We are shown Christ here in his office as prophet, priest, and king. And the vision ends with an amplification of his majesty and glory. His face was like the sun shining in its full strength. Such glory we cannot gaze upon for long without it blinding us by its sheer holiness. Well, we're back to the question. What is your opinion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about these attributes of Jesus Christ. You and I are given a, such a detailed description so that we might have a proper view of our Redeemer as Lord God Almighty. Now, that right hand of the Lord Jesus Christ engages John. He touches John with his hand of authority and might, and John falls down as though dead. But the apostle will not be left in that position. The head of the church comforts his servant. Do not be afraid, he says. I am the first and the last. So the Son of Man introduces himself by that name through which the Lord God built himself a reputation throughout the generations as the faithful God of the covenant. The Lord is the first and the last, and therefore his redemptive work will not be ruined. The reins of history are firmly in his hands. I am the first and the last. I was there before the mountains were made, the Lord reminds us in the prophecy of Isaiah. I was the first, and I will be the last. 
And now Jesus comes to that island of Patmos to a witness in exile, revealing himself with the name of the covenant God. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Brothers and sisters, in his self-revelation, Jesus Christ does two things at the same time. He points us backwards and ahead to the past and to the future. He is the first. That is, he was there before anything was created, being of the same substance as God the Father. All things were made through him and flow forth from him. He determined the function and the design of every creature. And Jesus Christ is also the last, as the one who determines the goal of all things, as he rules and as he governs in every moment and in all time of world history. Christ rules and governs all things. Nothing is hidden before his eyes or slips by unnoticed. He knows the commotion of the world, the blood and the sweat and the tears. He knows all your worries and your concerns. He knows what's going on in our personal lives, but also in the lives of God's children in desperate situations throughout this world, in places like Sudan and Nigeria and the Ukraine and other places of this world. And so the comfort Christ gives his church is immense. Who decides what will happen today and tomorrow? The one who is among you. Jesus says to John, I am the first and I am the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And again, we have a name which the Old Testament reserves for the Lord. Our mediator, Jesus Christ, has life in himself because he is the Son of God. He is the source of life. He is the creator of life. And thus he was able to accomplish the world's greatest paradox. The living one became a dead person to give you and me life everlasting. That was a miracle of immeasurable greatness made possible through another miracle. The Son of God made flesh, thereby becoming one of us. So Christ reveals himself to John as the living one. And with that he is saying, I not only completed the work of redemption and the payment for sin, I am still your living and caring Savior. The living one gives life to his congregation through his living word so that you may go home each week in the assurance of the forgiveness of your sins. We are freed from sin and death, sharing in his life. His life is our life. Christ had to take the curse, not only out of the grave, but just as much out of the cribs of our babies 
And we can go through life, which is no more than a constant death, with the living one at our side. So the Lord Jesus, as the living one, is our only hope in life and death. The Lord comforts his church with the assurance, I have the keys of Hades and death. Hades, that's the realm of the dead. The Christ pictures the realm of the dead as a mighty kingdom, as a strong fortress. The gates of the prison prevent anyone from escaping. And when you die, you go through those gates. But listen to the gospel of Revelation 1. Death itself does not own the keys. The kings of the earth do not have them. No one has them but Jesus. He opens and he closes at the Father's appointed time. And since Christ has the keys of death and Hades, he will also decide when our bodies will be taken out of the realm of the dead to be reunited with our souls. Yes, here in the power of Christ we live. Christ is the first and the last, the living one who died and who will live forevermore. And nothing and no one is going to stop him from accomplishing his work. No power of hell, no scheme of man or death or the realm of death can hold him back from accomplishing his plan. Christ continues to build his church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. For the powers of death and Hades are subjected to the word of the living one. The keys of the realm of the dead are subjected to the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And all attempts that are made to shut the doors of this kingdom won't work. The preaching of the gospel will go on. Brothers and sisters, we are so rich and blessed. We go into the future with the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last among us. We go into the future with the living one, the one who has the keys of death and Hades. We have him at our side. What is your opinion of Christ? The Apostle John has given us so much to see so that you might have it all in a book telling you that no matter what the future brings in your personal life and as church, you can know it's all good. Here in the power of Christ I stand. Indeed, having the first and the last the living one among us, it is all good. How could it be otherwise? Amen.